celebrate the launch of David Rothkopf's new book, American Resistance, the inside story of how the deep state saved the nation by becoming a member today. This month, new members will receive a free signed copy of the book, along with the usual member benefits, including an ad-free listening experience, members-only bonus content, an invitation to join the DSR Network Slack community, and more. To take advantage of this offer, visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and select the option titled American Resistance. Upon successful checkout, you will receive a confirmation email with instructions on how to redeem the book. The book retails for $29, but is included with this membership option. You'll just pay for shipping. Please allow two to four weeks for shipping. Thank you very much. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm David Rothkopf, your host. I'm in New York City today, and we are really fortunate to be joined by Jocelyn Benson, who's Michigan's 43rd Secretary of State. Benson oversaw Michigan's 2020 presidential election, which drew record-breaking turnout and was the most secure election in state history. Of course, it was more than a presidential election. There were a lot of state races up. It strikes me that over the course of the past decade, Michigan has gone from being important to being absolutely central, in some cases the litmus test election in the United States for the future of the United States. Now, that may be because in the past decade, I I married a woman from Ypsilanti, Michigan. But, you know, I'll tell you something. My wife's perception of what was going to happen next in elections has been uncannily accurate because of the time she spends in and with people from Michigan. How do you explain this? this sort of evolution in Michigan's role? Well, I think for a long time, Michigan has been a microcosm for what's happening in the country. I know even when I first started working in Michigan over 20 years ago, I wrote a book that said when Michigan coughs, the entire country can catch a cold. So in that way, what often happens in Michigan does spread throughout the country. And I think that's been the case for a while in a, for a lot of reasons. I mean, the demographics of the state. We have both urban areas, densely urban areas, and, and rural areas. We have multilingual populations. We have various geographic amenities, I guess you could say, and, and, and things that different, that different states also have. And so there's just lots of reasons why, apart from the fact that we've got you know, very sort of progressive elements in our state, and this is also the state or the home of the Michigan militia. Uh, so you've, you see the whole spectrum of, of the political perspectives present in our state as well. And so from the diversity of perspectives, experiences, geography, as well as political positions all across our state, we really are a microcosm for the country. And a lot of what happens here can, and I think we've seen over the last several years, impact the entire country. 
Yeah, well, I've, I've you know I've certainly seen that. With sometimes we drive to Michigan, you come up through Toledo, and like the first thing you see is a big billboard for a store selling AR-15s, and you see Michigan militia here and there, and then we get into Ann Arbor, and it's a whole different world. But it, having said that, if in fact Michigan is a microcosm of the United States. The last election was extremely encouraging because while you have faced, and in particular Governor Whitmer has faced the sort of the the most extreme of the extremes and real threats, you had an election in which Democrats took top jobs. The election was extremely secure. The cries of election deniers were muted in, in large part thanks to, to work that you yourself had done. Women are leading the way in Michigan. You've got a trio of great, strong women. What's your view of why things have trended in that direction? I think this story actually begins in 2016 or in the year immediately following when citizens put on our ballot in 2018 ballot initiatives that created an independent citizen redistricting commission and expanded options to vote in our state in a very significant way. And then subsequently after that, I was elected secretary of state. I have a unique background in this work of administering elections. My whole life's work is around really trying to learn and understand and implement the best practices in election administration with an eye towards engaging every voice and, 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 and perspective. And so with that, combined with a number of other things, we were on track to really expand voter participation in our state. And uh, that tracked through 2020, it tra tracked through 22, we had another expansion of voting rights in, on the ballot that was enacted. And so I think in many ways, the story of Michigan is one about women rising to the occasion and young people as well, participating in significant ways, but in ways that reflect their portion of the overall population. Uh, in, in other words, it's, it's, it's both an, a reflection of increased participation, but really a lack of silencing voices and really engaging historically underrepresented communities, people of color and, um, and multilingual communities, and really bringing folks together to all participate in large numbers in our democracy, in our drawing of congressional and legislative districts, and as well as just voting and, and registering and getting others to register. All of that has led to a state where you have now a legislature that more adequately represents the diverse demographics of the state. And that, so I think to me, it's a, sort of a, a strong way of saying it to me is the story of Michigan's strength over the last several years is really found in its people and in the voters who have really leaned in since 2016 to take control of their government and ensure it reflects their values and ensure that they have an active role in it through increased access to the vote and through an independent redistricting commission led by citizens. Another thing that might have seemed uh, challenging 10 years ago is, is, is telling people what a secretary of state did. I'm sure you followed this election with a note to Donald Trump saying, thank you very much, because coming, coming out of this past election, even the average voter was cognizant of the centrality of the role secretaries of state have. But it seems to me, of course, that it is a partnership between a secretary of state and a state government, and individuals working at the ground level to administer elections 
And we've seen across the country a lot of pressure against those individuals and a lot of resilience of, of people stepping up. Is that the, the Michigan story that you saw as well? Yeah, I, I've said often that democracy is a team sport. It requires partnerships at every level, which our office has worked to hone, whether it's nonprofit and nonpartisan organizations, citizens themselves, the business community, the sports community, uh, colleges and universities. We've brought everyone to the table. And I started doing this on day one to really engage everyone in a, having ownership and agency over their democracy and finding how they can contribute serving as poll workers. We've recruited tens of thousands of new poll workers over the last several years to actually engage in the process. And then through leadership, showing resiliency in the face of the challenges that our community, the election administration and voting community has faced over the last several years, being able to constantly and incessantly show up and not bend when those tr negative anti-democracy forces try to get us to waver. And we found that has really created an ethos of strength around our democracy and our state that is really born through the increased participation and the avenues that enable increased participation. And all of that together has, in, in my view, put us on track to have a healthier democracy. But we also have a joke that, you know, Trump or others, they, they attack us to their peril. You know, every time they attack us, we become stronger. And that is something that we have that has trended in our state since the beginning. And you see that happening in other ways as well. When Republican state senators attack Democratic state senators, they give a speech on the floor and it goes viral. So we've we've really developed a very Michigander type ethos here, which is taking challenges, embracing challenges, and then using them to make us stronger. Certainly, that's the story to date. And uh, clearly, the last election had kind of a happy ending. For those who were concerned about democracy in the country, but the battle's not over. In the rest of the country, while a lot of election deniers lost, a lot won. It seems likely that we may have senior folks on the Republican side, possibly in the ticket, continuing to run on a platform of disinformation, distrust the election process challenge the election process and so forth. You did a lot to prepare for this election. What do you think needs to be done now? What do you think needs to be done to prepare for 2024? We can't take our foot off the gas. I mean, I think what we've shown for the now two cycles in 2020 and 2022, that when people show up to defend democracy, democracy prevails. And when we can come together across partisan lines and actually build a, a nonpartisan coalition uh, in support of our democracy, we can achieve really tremendous great success in defending democracy against anyone who would try to dismantle it. So we have to remember that and recognize really the 2022 election demonstrated that truth, that when we stand up to fight for our democracy, it can prevail. But the fight is still, we're still in the fight. Uh, and while we emerge out of the 22 election with more people on the field, more, more, more folks on the field than we otherwise might have had if some of the election deniers had won on the state level, We've now got a strong Secretary of State in Nevada, a, a continuity of a strong Secretary of State's office in Arizona. With Josh Shapiro's election in Pennsylvania, we're going to see, I think, the appointment of a strong Secretary of State there. So we're, we're, we're building our strength, but the fight is not over. And in fact, now with the former president reemerging as a candidate for the presidency in 24, that really emphasizes how we need to be prepared for an even more sophisticated potential attempt to undermine the will of the people that will be bolstered by 
gains of election deniers at the federal level, which have occurred, particularly in Congress. And so we have our eyes on that and the actions that the federal government may take through the House of Representatives to try to dismantle or, or delegitimize democracy throughout over the next several years, uh, how that may enable others to continue to come to the fight. Uh, we also know in other states there have been election deniers uh, elected at the state level, particularly in election uh, administrative positions. So we're mindful of that. So we emerge out of 2022 stronger, more engaged around democracy. But all that has really done is enable us to put our strength forward into the fight that we're about to enter into that will be the 2024 election cycle. does seem like another potential assault might come from the Supreme Court. It may not have as big an effect on a state like Michigan that has switched the control of its own legislature. But can you describe how you see that threat? Yeah, the Moore versus Harper case is something we're all concerned about. I used to refer to it as kryptonite. And then I don't, you know, I, I kind of look at this work as we have to kind of have a plan for every attack. And that's one attack on our state court and the people's ability to influence their democracy and have power over it. That is really going to be hard to overcome, potentially, depending on how far the court's decision goes. But interestingly, now with Michigan's legislature being controlled by Democrats and likely then passing a lot of pro-democracy legislation over the next year or, or, or several years, that I don't know if that changes the calculus around the decision at all, because certainly it positions Michigan to be able to show if there is a case that comes, an opinion that comes down from the Supreme Court that empowers or even gives state legislatures plenary power, full power and authority over our elections. It would be really detrimental and harmful to our community which again relies on executives and the judiciary to check a hyper-politicized legislature around election administration issues. But that said, if the court upends that very important check and balances that we have in every state and empower state legislatures to have full authority over election administration in Michigan, we'll show, I believe, in partnership with our state legislature, how that authority can be used to good in a pro-democracy way and we'll keep fighting along those lines to, again, expand democracy and engage voters. And even in the midst of a potentially detrimental decision from the court that gives the state legislature so much power over, could give the legislature so much unbridled authority over elections. So we'll see. And I think, and I, I'm hopeful that Michigan would again react to that negative decision in a positive way that would strengthen our democracy through the legislature and hopefully encourage or pave the way for other states to do the same if they're able to, as Michigan did this cycle, flip control into more pro-democracy hands than might be currently in, let's say, Wisconsin or Pennsylvania. So the last question, and I appreciate you're taking the, the time with us, you know, cuts to the core issues and the drivers of all of this change. We talked a little bit about the role that women have played, and Michigan really has quite an extraordinary record of producing strong women leaders, including the team that you've got there now. I was just in an event with Secretary Granholm, and she was also extremely, extremely impressive and has been throughout her career. And some of the issues were issues that cut extremely close to the core interests of women, including abortion. Other issues that, that seemed important in the, in the election in Michigan were democracy, but, but also inflation. And in Michigan and across the country, this engaged, this combination engaged 
the emerging generation of voters, Gen Z, in a crucial way that's going to obviously grow as we go forward. What do you see about the participation of next generation voters in Michigan? What's being done to enhance or harness that? Well, as the result of a number of new policies like Election Day registration and working more in partnership with organizations and uh, that serve young, young people as well as campus communities, we've really worked to open up the process and make it convenient and relevant to um, young voters to participate. And Michigan shows what can happen when that occurs. You see uh, you know, extraordinary engagement, excitement, and power coming from young voters, which is critical to also instill in the next generation of citizens who will inherit our democracy for decades to come and will guard it and will be charged with guarding it for decades to come. So what we've really seen and what I've seen from my perch as the state's chief election officer is that if you put procedures in place to enable voting to be convenient and accessible for young voters, like election day registration, which has been overwhelmingly utilized by young voters, like drop boxes and and polling places on college campuses, basic stuff that makes sense and is logical and serves all voters, but doesn't, you know, doesn't benefit one party or the other, but overwhelmingly enables young voters to participate, you see the participation rates increase significantly, even in local elections, not just presidential years or gubernatorial years. So that shows, that gives us a, a great glimpse into, into what can happen if policies and procedures enable participation, which is really a big part of our story in Michigan. The other part of our story is what you have when you have women working together, not just serving as leaders, but working together as friends, as colleagues, as a team, as the governor, the attorney general, and I have done to open up those pathways to participation and going where young people already are and making politics and government and service relevant to them in their lives so they can see and anticipate the change that will occur from their participation and then engage accordingly. So all of that has really come together and, and really underscores how in Michigan, it's, it's not just about Democrats all, you know, in all three of the executive offices or now in the legislature. It's really about teamwork. It's really about us working together to serve collectively the population of this state. And it's something that uniquely as women, we've been able to find and further because there's really not competition between us as, as the AG and governor and the secretary of state. We are just an alignment and we are partners. And as a result, we can, I think, demonstrate leadership that teamwork and working together can enable you to achieve significantly more and open up democracy a lot more than we otherwise would be able to if we weren't aligned and, and, and serving as a team. What a great response. And I think this conversation with you underscores that Michigan is important to watch, not just because it's a bellwether, not just because it's a big, diverse state or part of the blue wall that has emerged in the heart of the United States, but also because you and Governor Whitmer and uh, Attorney General Nessel offer a playbook. Uh, You offer a great example to people across the country. That's why we focused on this for this whole episode. And that's why we're really grateful that you could join us. Thank you very, very much. Oh, thank you for having me. And thank you for recognizing what we believe also here in Michigan, which is that as goes Michigan, so goes the country. And we take seriously the leadership role we have nationwide and are eager to now all have a second term to demonstrate what working together can deliver for citizens from all backgrounds and all walks of life. Well, we're glad you do too. That was my interview with Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson of Michigan. 
who, as you can see, is an exceptional and articulate leader and illustrates extremely well why Michigan has become so important to watch. Another exceptional and articulate leader is our next guest. She has joined us before on this podcast, and that is Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, a leader in the House of Representatives for uh, some time now, a very, very thoughtful observer of these scenes. And uh, you'll be able to hear her in a conversation with my colleague Tara McGowan in one moment. This is the moment we take a break. In the course of the podcast, we say thanks to listeners in the general public who've been with us and say, we hope that you've liked this enough that you might want to consider becoming a member. Now's the time to become a member. Go to the DSRnetwork.com, click on membership for about the cost of a latte per month. You can be a member and get the full broadcasts, including in this case, the conversation with Congresswoman Dingle. But for those of you not yet members, we say goodbye for now. Thanks very much. And for those of you who are members, we say stand by. We'll be back in just one moment. 